We're in a subway station, underground. At the turnstile, there's a white guy in a windbreaker, fumbling with his subway pass. And the music starts, because this is a music video. The white guy gets on the train, and a brown guy with longish black hair sits across from him. That guy has a shiny tiffin, one of those metal containers Southeast Asians use to carry food. And as we hit the chorus, the white guy is staring at the tiffin suspiciously. If you see something, you better, you better say something. Nothing at all, nothing at all. The white guy gets up, moves down the compartment, sits and looks up. And this time the guy across from him is reading the Urdu Times. The camera zooms in on the white guy's face, and we see that he's imagining the guy behind the newspaper wearing a mask with a cloud of gas around him. The white guy gets up again, a bit frantically. We follow him as he leaves the compartment, looking over his shoulder. He sits down again in the new compartment, and this time there are four young brown men across from him, slouching in their seats, just hanging out. They're the punk band, the Cominas, and this is their music video. The white guy imagines them reading religious texts, praying and rocking back and forth. He runs off the train, pushes an emergency button to talk to someone, and we see that person taking notes and writing down Middle Eastern, dark skin, big bomb. You better, better say something. At this point, it gets a little crazy. All the brown guys, including the Cominas, meet up for a picnic in a park, and police show up to arrest them. Simultaneously, the white guy, still down in the subway, is attacked by something that looks like a walking octopus. The white guy rips off the head of the octopus, only to find himself inside. As the screen fades to black, we're back in the park, and guys in white biohazard suits are examining the contents of the tiffin. It looks like rice and some kind of meat. It's classic Cominas social commentary. For a decade, the band's put out videos and albums that criticize American stereotypes of brown people and Muslim culture. The cover of their 2015 album, Stereotype, challenges Pakistani gender roles by showing a woman in a sari feeding sweets to a handcuffed guy in a bra. Devoted fans across the world love the Cominas' unique combination of comedy, visual art, music, and subversive messages. The Caminas are just <laughs> badass. That's it. I asked a Caminas fan what she liked about them. This is artist Aziza Ahmed in Karachi, Pakistan. I'm pretty sure that's also what my first thought was back when I first heard them, which was in high school in like 2010. And it was such a revelation because this was music that I liked listening to, but with this weird additional relevance in their imagery and language and it was so authentic like this wasn't some kind of half-hearted fusion shit and that had a big impact for me I think because it was just so cool to see like like brown kids just be and just make and have it be great and that's it like it was self-representational I feel but it wasn't kitsch it wasn't it wasn't hitting keywords and like that that's a big influence on how I see or make art now where like I feel like it has to be you but on your own terms 
it doesn't have to cater to anyone and like their newest album steer type is so funny and so cheeky and clever and dark and it's meaningful but it's it's also all of this at once you can be all of this at once and it doesn't have to mean anything outside of that and that's badass that's fun my friend Marco Werman at The World is also a fan of the Cominas. He's interviewed them a few times over the years, along with a lot of other journalists who've been drawn to the seeming oddity of what's sometimes called a Muslim punk band. Marco was the one who told me that something had happened at a Cominas show in Cambridge, Massachusetts. People on Facebook were talking about some guy heckling them in the audience. So I reached out to one of the members, Shah Jahan Khan, and they all came into our studios to talk. Just a heads up, there's some swearing in here that hasn't so much been the case in Otherhood in the past, but hey, we're happy to make allowances for super cool punk rockers. I'm Rupa Shanoi, and this is Otherhood. All right. So I don't usually do music journalism, so I apologize for that in advance. It's okay. We usually do prop comedy. I heard yeah. about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I look forward to seeing more of it. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we brought a knife. That's why we brought the knife. Yeah, we have yeah. one right here. And a Corona. Okay. <laughs> okay, pause. Before we start, let's do some introductions. I'm Rupa. Yeah, you know that. Counterclockwise, that's me next. I'm Corno. Corno plays the drums. He has a round face, a mustache, a beard, and long curly hair. He'll be the one using all the big words. I'm Basim. Bassist and singer Basim Usmani's nickname is The Kid. He has short hair and a mustache. Before we started recording, I took him to Dunkin' Donuts, and he proudly bought the aforementioned Cronut. I'm Shah Jahan. Guitarist Shah Jahan's hair is buzzed short, and he has glasses, so he looks like he'd fit in in a library. But he's the kind of guy that protests at Donald Trump rallies. That happened in January. He got kicked out. I'm Sonny Ali. Sonny is a guitarist and singer. He's really tall. My head comes up to his elbow. He has long hair, a mustache, and a shaggy beard. He was wearing an off-white turtleneck embroidered with pastel flowers, with a long cardigan on top. So, Sunny, Shah Jahan, Basim, and Korno. One night in early April, they were all on stage at the Sinclair, a medium-sized venue that was packed that night, but still had a somewhat intimate feel. So, who wants to start by telling me what happened? Korno's the drum. You saw it? Yeah, I saw it. Uh, It was incredibly distracting. Wait, wait, wait. Put me in the place. So, we were in the middle of our set. Our shows in Boston are either a uniquely weird experience or just kind of a mundanely weird experience. And this one was a uniquely weird one. Just given like the history of like punk and hardcore in Boston where it does have like a very distinctive racist tinge to it, we're always kind of on guard when we play here, especially because our presence precedes us. So you expected something? Yeah, and like we were kind of the odd people out in a number of ways. Like the other three bands were on the same label together. They're all Boston bands. They all like, they play this really cool kind of like 90s throwback hardcore-y thing. Like, we're kind of outside of that, too. And, of course, you know, we're all brown, so, like, that distinguishes us from the ubiquity of the whiteness in the rest of the room. All the other bands were white? Yeah. yeah How'd yeah. you get matched up with them? They're actually old, old friends of ours. This is Shah Jahan, the clean-cut, glasses-wearing, not-a-library kid. One of the first incarnations of Kamina's formed at UMass Lowell, and as did the, the first band. So we actually, we, we've been friends for a while. What order were you? We, we were, were second, second out of four. Yeah. So, the 
first band played, it was all fine. We knew that if we weren't to experience outright racism, then we were to experience being kind of exotified in our novelty. So in the middle of our set, there's this part where Sonny actually like asks what everybody's name is. It's just like a bit that we do as part of our prop comedy. Uh, he just asked what everybody's name is, and this kid standing really close to the stage, actually on the sunny side of the stage, just holds his two middle fingers up in the air and just starts yelling America. Like kid kid? or No, I mean... Like Boston him slang kid. kid. In yeah. Boston, like yeah. you're a kid, like a you're cat. Cat until like you die. You're kid till we die. Man, I don't want to call him a kid to give him any generosity towards his like responsibility to yeah. basic humanity. Yeah. He was a piece of shit. Yeah, he but was. I think we all heard him say that at least, but you're the only one that yeah, saw yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I'm surprised that nobody else saw him. Because I'm disappointed that I that yeah. I missed. Yeah, I'm this disappointed guy. I didn't yeah. say anything. The one dude yeah. without a mic on stage. I know. So I mean, you were just like watching sort of and you were impotent? Yeah. So part of it is that I was watching this guy and I was impotent because I didn't have a mic, right? And the other part of it, which was more surprising, is that like when you're sitting there and digesting something terrible happening to you, you're too you're finely tuned to microaggressions because that's the ubiquity of the experience, or like that's kind of how you go about your you notice little things because you you know your context you know where you are you know how to interact with the people around you you know how you're going to be reciprocated in that interaction so you're like looking at a very small scale of human interaction right and when you notice something that overt it doesn't register and like i was sitting there and like i was watching him and i'm like this guy is fucking distracting like i'm just fucking up my drum parts on these songs and after the show i felt terrible about it not specifically about that person but just how the show went like the crowd was really hard to work and it was impossible not to contextualize that into what we felt going into the show but Honestly, I didn't remember that that had happened to us until the next day someone wrote us a Facebook message and be like, oh, that by the way, that guy that was yelling America at you and holding his two middle fingers up, he got kicked out later in the show for harassing somebody. Yeah, so yeah. when I had basically, so I th there was going to be this surprise later on that I was going to be the guest, a third guitarist with Pile to kind of play actually one of my favorite songs. Mm -hmm. uh, so when, I, when they finished their set, I walked up and there was this like commotion type stuff happening in the audience and I saw... Like somebody yelling at somebody else. Like it was, it was hard to like process exactly what was going on. But then the lead singer of, of Pile, Rick, he kind of looked out into the crowd. And, and the crowd at that point was saying like there's this one guy who's a problem pointing at this guy. And Rick actually had to, I think three or four times had to be like, all right, let's kick him out. Let's throw him out. This is actually something my fiance told me later was that like even after he said that, like still, I mean, there was actually tons of security at the place, like making sure that, you know, we didn't like accidentally bring my parents into the green room or something like that. So yeah, at that point, the guy did get thrown out. And this person who Facebook messaged us later was like, yeah, actually he was like, he hit somebody. And then the person who he hit, their friend, she tried to like t get him to stop. And he said, basically, this is a mosh pit. This is not your safe space. So just, just like awful, awful stuff. And even yeah. during the America stuff, like, honestly, yeah. like, you go, sorry. sorry. So basically, like, that's Sonny, the tallest. You know, when he initially started hassling us, like, and I, I didn't even notice, but, you know, if people around him, like, if we had kicked him out then, like, we would have stopped this person from, like, ruining other people's night, right. like, over, you know, later on. It was a sold-out show. There's literally, like, 500 white people behind this person, 
You know what I mean? And nobody really steps in to like do anything or like tell anyone. So that felt a little strange. Yeah. So like overall, I I mean, yeah, overall, like it does suck that this happened to us, but it also sucks that this guy was allowed to stay for like, you know, that we tolerate, that people tolerated that in that space. And it had to get to a point of like this guy being aggressive towards women for him to get kicked out, you know, eventually. Yeah, because it's kind of like, you know, if somebody's being racist, like chances are they're like a sexist, you know what I mean? Or like... Yeah, um, they check off all the boxes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like initially... You don't go light on hatred. You go for all, you go all or nothing. <laughs> right, what right, comes yeah. from their animosity, I think, of being like angry white dudes. That's Bosom, the kid, Cronut guy. I think that that's like, we always frame it in terms of who they're targeting. You know, there was this one shitty white guy, um, but, yes, um, but <laughs> you know, we, we, we sold like hundreds of dollars worth of merch that night, which is like a great sign. You yeah. know, it, it wasn't like this guy ruined the show. Yeah. Overall, like the crowd was very much like into us. And I mean, that's partly why I probably didn't even notice this guy because I was like just shredding and like killing it you know, but, so hard um, so yeah. yeah so it's hard to read sometimes the, yeah. the crowd i mean i know judging by the sales i mean money <clears throat> money talks and you know people we don't did pay, get some people messages pay for we stuff. got a couple messages too from other people just like message of support and honestly like the day after my head was like where shit is like going in this country i was like what if the dude had a gun or something? You know, yeah. on it, like, and it's scary that like that's where what where we're at now. Yeah, you know, because it's it's not like there was like metal detectors or anything. You can just walk into this venue, but like for the four of us who we are, like I don't know. Uh, but what do you think? I mean, should we even be making a thing of this? Because does that take away from mm-hmm. you know the good stuff that happened that night? Yeah. Something that I'm coming to digest over the last couple of days is that we're. A brown band that speaks on identity, our particular identity, and it's very uncompromising about that. But the amount of attention that we glean from one shitty white guy doing something at our shows, and all of a sudden everybody comes out of the woodwork, like, describe his behavior. We want to know what exactly he did at your show, where you put together a set where you're talking about your issues, you're playing your music, you're drawing from your influences. What the fuck did that guy do? Oh, yeah. yeah. So meanwhile, yeah. that guy was a plant for you to get more publicity. Exactly. Yeah, actually, yeah. I, yeah. I hired him. I Prop hired comedy. Him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely hired him. It wasn't like we immediately like took to social media. We took like, yeah. you know, a good like eight hours because we were playing with our friends too. So we don't want to like damper the evening. And overall, like it was a great show the venue their response was really great too i i think they're gonna step their game up in regards to stuff like that but at the same time like they might never book us again you know i mean like just to be safe like oh like these guys are you know we don't want to like yeah anything squeaky nail gets the hammer yeah so so that's something that we have to talk about before we bring this stuff up like is it worth like not getting booked you know you just never know with these types of things why does that happen it has you mean like, like us being cut uh, yeah. not yeah. being booked or yeah. like, happened. I mean, we've been shows have been definitely taken away from us under ambiguous circumstances. Definitely, um, and, and non-ambiguous. And we just got ambiguous. told we're yeah, going on a UK tour this summer. No, no, wait, Although wait, this wait, Belgian, this Belgian wait, wait, show that said that we're too to pop. I know. I'm trying to make a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making a joke. I don't want to lighten it. We were too pop to play in Belgium. Sorry. Go ahead, Bossa. Okay. Anyway, yeah. Sometimes our shows do get shut down, and it is like pretty blatantly because like they're uncomfortable with the band, its message, the us. You know, 
It's it's clear. Like that happened at Smalls in Detroit. The, the rug got pulled from under our our feet the day of the show. Like we driven to Detroit ten years ago. Apparently, yeah. No, it's no a I'm just saying it's that a it's been happening. Ago. Yeah, you know, it's not something new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So has anything changed since you know there's a new environment where it seems like some comments are. It's okay to say some things publicly that that weren't said. So but about Muslims, before. it's been public, though, for a while. I was just going to say about Muslims, it's been, like, part of the, like, the foreign policy. Like, you know, like, we like the good ones that'll fight the bad ones. You know, so as long as things are framed in that good-bad thing, there's going to be that. You know, although I will say that it is fucking scary that people are being killed in the street, you know, for being having brown skin or appearing to be, a, you know, it's, it's, that's very frightening, but. And you're putting yourself out there as a, as a symbol. Do you feel that? I mean, it's, it's like 10 years in the making. So it's like, there's so much stuff that we've like attached to that, that snowball that's going down that mountain, which is like all the art we've done. It's like, but yeah, I mean, we feel that we see that. Yeah. You know, when people say Trump is making punk music great again or something, it's like, no, like punks, punks are still making the same type of music. You're just kind of like taking it a little more seriously, I think. Yeah. And does that extend to any like cultural identity that has like a political purpose also? Like, or it just has, has an identity primarily and then it's politicized in its existence. It's like you don't want your primary reason to be to be reactive or secondary to something else, right? right? You want it to, it's something intrinsic. You are alive. You represent yourself. And then for someone to contextualize you as an antagonist to something in power is totally belittling, right? And we've, as you were saying, we've been doing this for years and years and years. And mm -hmm. yeah, the context around us changes and people see us in that light differently depending on where we are and what cultural moment, but we're just us doing our shit, you know? Right. So I was reading a lot of uh, stories about you guys to review and stuff like that before you came, and I was thinking, no one asked you about your families, and I, I was thinking about it because if you were brown girls, as a brown girl myself, I'd be like, dude, what do your families think? Because they'd probably be really scared for your safety or something oh, like yeah. that. Absolutely. Yeah. My mom actually sent uh, sort of a supportive text message uh, just yesterday, you know, being like, um, beta don't let these you know negative uh, people like bother you like we were there we had a great time our, i mean my parents uh, have been very supportive i think all of our parents are pretty supportive of the music stuff that we're doing yeah but like they've pretty much just given up on us i think and have no choice <laughs> to support yeah i don't yeah. know i mean it's, it's kind of a battle with my parents. I mean, anytime we play at a college, they're like super psyched. Um, you know, I never, I never went to college and now, you know, so it's nice to be like, hey mom, we might like play at Harvard. And she's like, take a picture in front of take the Harvard sign. Take a home with you. Like, Did she really yeah. say that? Yeah, yeah. Oh no. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, they're freaked out. I remember just a few weeks ago, I was at a bar with a friend and they wanted to like do my birth chart. So I was like, oh, like I need to, I need to find out what time I was born. So I call my mom at like midnight, and I'm like asking her, like, <laughs> like what time I was born, and she's like, who wants to know, like, who are, like, is it, 
is it FBI? Like, why are they asking you these questions? I'm like, no, they want to do my birth chart. And she's like, what the hell is a birth chart? Like, don't trust this person. And then I was kind of like, wait, like, who is this person that I'm with right now? Um, yeah, this, this stuff kind of dominates our conversations these days. One thing I, I've been thinking a lot about is just as far as like the whole uh, where at least where my parents uh, are at in terms of the like model minority thing. Like, so my dad is actually the uh, the president of a mosque here in Wayland, and he's actually the guy that gets called anytime some sort of thing happens. I've and done a story out there. I've probably met him. You probably met my dad then. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. So you know, anytime something happens anywhere in the world involving any you know, any variety of Muslim, it's always, let's get local Boston Muslims reaction with Dr. Malik Khan. And my parents have both done a lot of interfaith work over the last 30 years, you know, and just, and they've been that like, hey, you don't know anything about Islam, come talk to us. Like, we'll tell, you know, they go give talks and stuff and they feel very comfortable in that role in the way that, you know, I don't really necessarily, yeah. you know, and, and, um, and, and, and I think that the past couple of years have been very, this election, yeah, has been super disheartening for them, even though maybe they wouldn't, admit it oh I mean, no they, they do admit it openly but just as far as i mean they still are very have like a positive attitude towards stuff that like no people are inherently good things are inherently good but i think that um they've been having a hard time with that stuff people sure. really don't ask us about our families I was that's just a really thinking good about point. that question because it's yeah. like if the genders were swapped that's like the first thing like I, we were friends with you know we're friends with many artists that have this frustration where journalists always are asking them about their families because they're brown girls yeah so it's like a constant intrigue like of what are you escaping or mm. you know that type of thing and no one ever asks us about ours which is it's a good point mm. i'm like surprised mm. i was just thinking about that because i've been doing this for 10 years my parents come to the shows yeah. As do many of our parents, they're all very supportive. Yeah, yeah. We, do, we do talk a lot about. I know Bassem has cousins that, uh, women yeah. cousins that have influenced him. Yeah, musically. So I, yeah, when I was growing up, it wasn't surprising for me to be see like, you know, Muslim kids that or whatever brown kids that like to skateboard or were in bands because like my cousins, uh, and you know, Amna and Zanab and their friend Sheila, they were like three brown girls. They're in a punk rock band in the '90s. They all like, you know played at the bowling alleys like every Saturday and like would play around Saginaw, Michigan. And it's just like, and it's just interesting because they all had to go to college, had to be successful people, and they're all like killing it in their fields. But, you know, the music thing was seen as a hobby, you know, and it's not seen as a hobby for me because I'm a boy. Like, that's like a part yeah. of that, you know. And you get to criticize religion and criticize culture. Oh, and yeah. There's a spillover effect for all of that stuff. But I will say that my cousins taught me how to do that criticism. Like, unlike other people, like, it was my cousins that taught me, like, what what social justice what my ideas of social justice my first notions come from you know Amna and Zainab and their friend Sheila like you know they, or they come from my cousins you know yeah and I think you know with the with the climate right now like there is so much attention on Muslim men in the media but you know by by we're, we're definitely not the most like marginalized people by any means especially like our class upbringing and our male privilege like so we don't want to be so wrapped up in our own struggle that we're not able to like be there for other people like and that's another like kind of crappy part about you know all the attention that Muslim men specifically get in the media and like yeah I also had a, a older sister who you know she was the first one to teach me she taught me like a riff on the piano because she would take piano lessons and that was the first time I was like oh like this is cool and then she took the brunt of 
the parenting. She was the eldest and also a, a woman, so she had like an arranged marriage and you know, a lot of just yeah, shitty like parenting decisions I think that didn't really work out very well. But Where'd you grow up? I grew up right outside of Philly. There's a big temple there, Hindu temple. You're the Hindu, right? I'm the Hindu <laughs> token. So do you, is, are you like the Hindu-Muslim unity? We represent <laughs> world peace wherever we go. <laughs> we bind cultures together Deepak regardless comes of class, in. color, gender, or any other category. We, a new paradigm we are shift the glue in consciousness. of the universe keeping it all together. And I'm the cap on the glue. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, no, I sniff that glue. <laughs> I, I'm the token non-Muslim, non-Pakistani, which means I'm Hindu and Indian. Um, so <laughs> non-practicing either, in particular. But um, so with for the anxiety issue, my mom has, for the last ten years, been wondering why I would publicly put myself into a more dangerous position than I'd otherwise be in. And again, the 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 blinders or maybe the focus of bigotry is generally pretty blunt so seeing the intricacies of culture or religion isn't really in their purview so being brown does intersect somewhat with the larger Muslim experience aside from the specificities of it but I mean there's all of that that's very real but there's a funny anecdote too oh I like that (laughs) yeah Um, so we did a show on BuzzFeed called see something say something yeah um, where it was a live show and it was on video and I thought my mom would be proud that we were playing at the green space so I gave her like the link and so she's watching and as part of the set the host uh, Ahmed Ali Akbar he says we need to we need to be able to say Allahu Akbar in public without any fear of retribution um, and the only way to do that is just saying it over and over again mm. in, in no- totally normal circumstances so he invoked everybody to say Allahu Akbar on stage. And as soon as my mom, like, the, I don't know if she the camera was in. focused in on my face or something saying it. But, like, as soon as that happened, my mom just started sending me these frantic text messages. Like, don't ever forget that you're Hindu. Oh, but, and, like, at first I thought, like, you know, they do share some casual Islamophobic sentiments. Even though they're anti-Modi, they still feel like their country's being penetrated by radical Muslims, whatever, whatever. And Are you they, saying India or America? India and America. Yeah. Um, they, <laughs> and I, do, I think once you push them on that point, they start to be more sympathetic. And I mean, I've been hanging around with Muslims for like the last... Professionally for the last 10 years. <laughs> I'm, a I'm a professional hanger. I'm a professional <laughs> Muslim, Muslim. But uh, it, it just dawned on me later, like coming around to her point of view, it's like she doesn't want to see me in danger, you know, and and that's essentially me putting a voluntary cross on my back. Yeah, but at the same time, like, especially in the U.S., well, everywhere, Hindus haven't really stood with Muslims. No, not at all. And and Bobby after, I remember actually after 9-11, <laughs> they had like those vigils, those like, it wasn't us. We're like respected members of your community, where your doctors, where your lawyers mm-hmm. will go and stand out in public places as a Hindu coalition right. and hold candles so you know it wasn't us. And that's that's such <laughs> throwing other people under the yeah. bus behavior. And we haven't recovered from that. All right. For the most part, like, I mean, Hindus for, for Trump is just the tip of the iceberg of that type of behavior, unfortunately. We are incredibly accomplished in our white ascendancy. We mimic the behaviors perfectly to, to fit within a culture in an aspirational place. And 
we have a really bad habit of kicking anybody else down that's trying to get up that ladder too. It's weird when 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 people try to align themselves with white with whiteness because white people aren't going to be able to tell us apart. You know what I mean? Like yeah. like he still experiences like Islamophobia, like not not being a Muslim because no, yeah, like any white person isn't going to like be able to like differentiate between like Sikhs or Hindus or Muslims or whatever. So yeah, it's weird that that everybody is trying to like distance themselves or not everybody but you know people do try to like align themselves with whiteness in this way as if like that's going to save them or something well they're mm. a pretty successful minority group i think yeah. they're the highest earning or something yeah, yeah. Mm. i heard that somewhere but yeah well. i mean it's weird it's like it's a it's so weird that the breakdown happens as well between like people who are from India or Pakistan. I'm, I can talk more specifically about Pakistan, but who are from both of those places versus people like us who were born and raised here in terms of like our attitudes towards whiteness or race are like, I think, very different. It's just like things get racialized here or Muslim is this weird racial thing here. And mm -hmm. I don't think our parents were prepared for that. And I don't think a lot of us were ourselves. It's incredibly effective to put to put someone in a misshapen suit, something that doesn't make sense towards their body, towards their ability, towards their intellect, towards their identity, and then make them have to like struggle their way out of it. Mm -hmm. And it and it makes it breeds a type of egocentrism that's necessary in a way. And it's also super distracting, mm. you know? And however shitty it is that, like, sympathy doesn't extend past siloed boundaries, it's, it's not entirely our fault, but it's something that we have to be conscious of. Yeah. This was the first show after we just came off of a three-day tour with a, I'm going to hate the term world music, but uh, a band with a, a huge South Asian Don't say that audience. to Marco. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Marco. Uh, they're called we a, don't a, play world a band. Music uh, Red, we're not um, from this world. Yes. <laughs> Red Barat, and where we had, um, we played three you know, pretty big uh, shows uh, to, I would say, if not at least half and half, like overwhelmingly South Asian audience, where we were the odd act out for sure but we definitely won i mean i'm gonna say this in a non sort of arrogant way but i think we won over a lot new uh, we won over some fans because and, and it was but the, the audiences were like super receptive to us <laughs> they're laughing at me but I, i'm just saying like that you're trying this, so hard not to make it a competition <laughs> you're like trying so hard to say that we won no, a lot no, of fans no. We won that it's show that mature. night. We won it. Like, <laughs> we won it. We all had champagne. It was like the just, score was like yeah. throwing the bottle up in the totally. air. Like we were on the like you know those one first place, second place, third yeah. thing. Yeah. It was like us at the top, all the other but bands no, below. We, okay, we all had the like, last a show. At the top. <laughs> Hold on, the last the last show, Washington D.C. We're like two blocks from the White House. Okay, Bossim literally made like a nine eleven was an inside job joke, mm. and the crowd like ate it up and you know what I mean. Like it was like. A really great show. We played well. The energy was super, and we're playing in this like ridiculous like kind of venue that is. It, it's like a place you go for a quote classy dinner and a show type vibe. Mm -hmm. And we have like all of our kind of fans out creating a little like 
pit sort of area. So I'm just saying going from those three shows to I don't know what all of you guys maybe expected for the Boston show. I mean, I had my own reasons for being excited for it or whatever, but like uh, it was just a very interesting and like stark contrast to think that, you know, <laughs> the Boston show, not only is it like so different, it's such a white crowd. It also made me think of last summer we went on a u.s tour for the first time in a while like a legit like long tour we were the one place that we got into an actual like altercation almost with the audience is at this like white boy party in murfreesboro tennessee where we end up you know it's like a last minute show we booked it's a house party and i think one of the guys like almost got into a fight with sunny um oh sunny and he uh, looks so i'm so yeah. tall why would so you want to fight me yeah, yeah. <laughs> And pretty so, and um, peaceful. You look very yeah. peaceful. Well, I mean, I've I've maybe stopped like maybe five or six shows because of just aggressive white men. We learned very early on with this whole like Muslim punk fetishization media angle that we when we became this news story kind of out of our control like. You know, we're a band 12 years in. We're still, like, you know, we're looking for, like, a record contract for our next out. Like, it's not like all this press happened. We, like, became that this is even, like, a full-time thing for us right now. Like, we all have many different streams of income. Like, we're struggling. You know, it's not... What does riding the coattails of misery look like? It looks like people that that still drive around. We don't, like, drive around the same shitty cars. We have to have other jobs. Like, we can't manage to, like, make our shit. And we've been going for 10 years. What's your your other job? uh, I work at a nonprofit called Room to Read. They do girls' education and literacy work. Oh, that's so sweet. Sunny, what's your other job? I work at an antique store. That's so awesome. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> hard time I do uh, shout out room to read <laughs> <laughs> shout out antiques uh, shout out acting I do I do acting with a theater troupe here in Boston the improbable players I do voice acting and like I just got into film and commercial stuff this, the Staples commercial yeah, yeah. Exactly. I'm looking shout forward to Staples. that shout out Staples yeah <laughs> no it's not a, it's not a commercial it's an internal training video you'll never oh. see it oh that's too yeah, bad I probably shouldn't have even said that I was in it you I'm really gonna get a job I'm, probably, I'm gonna get fired yeah. I'm gonna <laughs> apply for a job there so <laughs> I can watch that <laughs> nice. how yeah. about you I mean, like, I, I would say I'm doing journalism, but the industry is kind of destroyed. So, like, I'm kind of doing that, working with whatever remnants of that are left. Shout oh, out no, to that. Right. There's the hotels. <laughs> yeah. That was depressing. Yeah. Okay. Shout out remnants. Yeah, remnants. <laughs> Yeah, the ruins, <laughs> the gothic ruins of journalism. No one cares. Oh, oh, back oh to the, the fetish, the, like a lot of the press that we got early on, you know, a lot of bands would look at that and be like, wow, like that's awesome. You're, you're like successful now. But like it has kind of put us in this weird position where people like on the underground scene think that we're like too big for them and then people at the top think that we're part of some like cult like underground scene and like neither of those are very true so we're kind of in this middle ground where I don't think like nobody you know everybody is like supportive of us but they're not really like trying to like sign us or like you know mess with us in that (laughs) in that way or you know I mean so so it does kind of put us in this weird like middle ground where people's perceptions of like how successful of a band we are are, are kind of like s- skewed and um, not super accurate. Before I let you guys go, <laughs> will you sing a bit for me? Oh, whoa. Oh, wow. Wow. I've never figured out how loud it's like, do you like music but hate all the stupid Can we do boys to men? Oh, oh boys to men. <laughs> totally. Yes, you can do that. 
<laughs> I could do the bass. Okay. Dude, you should just do all the parts, man. <laughs> yeah, Shaji. <laughs> you got all right, ready. Ready for what? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think Shaj right. is no. going. Shaj yeah, is just going. Let's just see where he goes. But dim, 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 and then. Because even though when times got rough, you never turned around. You were right there. And I thank you. Thank you. When I felt had enough, Sing it, you never turned away. You were right there. And I thank you. Thank you. Doom. Oh yeah. totally sit around singing that all the time. That was way too good. When you go to Pakistan, I'm just um, you can come in and do the. I'm just asking questions while while she's gonna come in and take a picture. Cool. But what do they think of you in Pakistan? Think we're freaks. Yeah. Don't like us. I mean, we don't necessarily fit in there. Actually, I mean, just in Pakistan. We have a pretty uh, interesting fan. I was there in December, and we actually do have a pretty respectable. Th- I mean, I want let me let me preface this by saying, like, among the like probably semi elite, you know, upper middle class to upper class, because uh, that's really the only place that our music will probably penetrate. You know, it's not necessarily going to be um, in like radios or anything like that. But like, I, I was I was pleasantly surprised that we actually do have some fans in Pakistan. Uh, we've never been to India. Actually, it's kind of a running joke that with three Pakistanis and one Indian, this band will never play in either Pakistan or India. We actually got invited. We've been invited to festivals in India before, uh, and they've our friends, you know, who run some of the top ones, are like, nope, pretty much aren't going to let you in because of the Pakistan the thing. Same thing in Pakistan. And then in Pakistan. Reverse, this, same thing. Yeah. yeah. People are like, nope, it's going to be too hard to do that. Yeah. So in a weird way, you guys are like super American. Oh, dude, we're more American than <laughs> white we're, people. We're yeah. an American band. Yeah. American band. We're an American band. Coming to your town. We're fucking brown. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Get in touch on Facebook or tweet me at Rupa Shanoi. And producer Catherine Whalen is reminding me to suggest you guys rate and review us on iTunes because that really helps. I'm Rupa Shanoi, and this has been Otherhood from PRI. Субтитры